Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. James is a fantastic book, isn't it? It's a book of real challenges, a book of real challenges. So, so how are we going? Because James is a book of challenges about how our life impacts the world around us and, and impacts the people that we do life with. Um, James has this saying that we uh, keep on coming across verse after verse, faith without works is dead. So when we look at our lives, we need to be asking ourselves constantly, Lord, what impact am I having on the people around me? Lord, what do you need to teach me? How do you need to grow me? What can I learn? What can I take hold of? Lord, come by your spirit and work in my life and change me. Particularly today, we come to the subject of favouritism. It's been done so, so well. Josh, you wrote that again, did you? And you're the rhyming man. Fantastic. How, how, how brilliant. You know? We come to this. Um, we come to this subject of favoritism or prejudice. Now, I want to draw the distinction that uh, favoritism or prejudice is different to having a favourite. I just happen to have a few favourites here. Now, you know, when I open these up, if I was to take out those that I would like to have, it'd be something like I'd take the flakes out of it. You know, that'd be my first choice, and then. Strangely enough, I'd probably take the, uh, the other things out there, these Turkish delights. Now, I know a lot of people don't like Turkish delights, but listen, I want to share some of the favourites, so there's one there. <laughs> Come on, Glenn, you've got to do better than that. Okay, now, it's probably not wise to... Um, Peter, you can pass them around there. And we'll go over this side. We've got over here. <laughs> My wife didn't trust me to throw. Okay. I would take those. And I've got a favourite rugby league team, Balmain, now West Tigers. We won on Friday. And so it's okay to have a favourite. However, when we look at favourites, if we look at a continuum, I believe there's a continuum that goes something like uh, favourites, something like favourites, and then we can come up into showing favouritism. The scriptures say in one version about partiality and right into prejudice. So there's this kind of a continuum. And it's okay to have a favourite. But where this, uh, this favourite leads into showing favouritism or partiality or prejudice because we look down on someone else, we've got a real problem. And that's what James is dealing with as we come to chapter 2. And what he was saying is really, the end of chapter 1 saying, some of the key indicators of whether we're prejudiced or not is by what comes out of our mouth, the way we talk about people and the way we act towards people, particularly people who are poor and oppressed. And so where does this prejudice come from? Well, a professor of psychology at a Belgian university says prejudice is not natural. It's a learned way of thinking where we humans want to categorise the world and we often do it unconsciously. 
And so when we meet someone, we immediately see them as either male or female, young or old, as black or white. And without making these uh, conscious decisions, our mind subconsciously is starting to work through exactly what type of person they are. And so we start to categorise them. And he says, social categories are useful to reduce complexity, but the problem is that we also assign some properties to these categories and that can lead to prejudice or stereotyping. In other words, we say, well, this person is like that, so therefore they're a part of that particular type of group and so we start to infer things about their actions or their values or who they are and we develop, we develop a strong prejudice in some cases. Because the same studies by this uh, psychologist Arne Rotes, studies show a strong bias or prejudice against those we perceive as being different from us. And a lot of that happens subconsciously. Because the way we're conditioned to categorise and program people. And that's been right down through the ages. And sadly, amongst people of faith, we know that religious people are not always known for their tolerance. Some religious groups and some religious people are quite intolerant of others. Our world today shows that. There's no difference in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the Jews and the Samaritans were having a different, a different battle. The Jews felt proud of their pure heritage. The Samaritans were this mixed breed. And so the Jews didn't want to taint themselves or contaminate themselves by going anywhere near Samaria. They were thoroughly convinced that God felt the same way about the Samaritans that they did. And we can see what happened when Jesus sent a couple of his disciples out and the normal way people would travel um, was to go around Samaria and up into Jerusalem. But Jesus said, no, we're going to go through Jerusalem. And he sent two of his disciples um, um, beforehand to prepare and make arrangements there. And when the Samaritans knocked them back, these two lovely disciples, James and John, James, not the, not the writer of the book we're studying, but James, uh, the disciple, he said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Man, this disciple had been walking with Jesus, seeing the way Jesus um, dealt with people in love and compassion and consideration. And he gets a knockback, Lord, do you want us to call fire down and destroy them? Um, they hadn't learnt much, had they? Jesus continually worked to break down the barriers of prejudice. I mean, he made the Samaritan the hero in one of the parables, the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite passed by on the other side, but it was the, it was the Samaritan that ministered to the man who had been attacked by the robbers. And we know that when Jesus healed the, the ten uh, lepers, the only person that came back was the one Samaritan that had been healed. And we know that Jesus, when he went through Samaria, the woman came, to, um, he met the, the lady at the well. She met Jesus, was so taken by the way Jesus spoke into her life and told her everything that she had ever done that she went off and brought people back to meet Jesus. Jesus Going through Samaria illustrated that for him, for God, there was no distinction. There was no distinction. Jesus fought to break down every barrier. 
Again, right in the days of the early church, we see Paul getting stuck into a church that had prejudice, but that prejudice was not about uh, race. Well, some of it was about race, but it was predominantly about rich and poor. And so in a passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, we often come to and open up at the time we're going to uh, come to the table of communion, Paul gets stuck into these, um, these Corinthians and he says, you know what, when you come to break the Lord's Supper, the rich bring in plenty of food and they bring in plenty of grog and they eat so much and they drink so much that they're all getting drunk and then it's almost like in another section of your meeting together, there are poor people that are going to go home hungry. So is this the way that you to operate together? What he says is something like, I have no praise for you because your meetings do more harm than good. What a sad reflection on the early church life together. The division between rich and poor. We know that the power of prejudice to hinder the gospel has even stopped people investigating a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mahatma Gandhi was a, a practicing Hindu and yet Christianity intrigued him. He read through the Gospels and he was just taken by, by this uh, account of Jesus and this man of compassion who worked to break down the barriers. So Mahatma Gandhi, one day, he thought, I want to go and to investigate this Jesus who I'm told by Christians is the Messiah, the Christ. And so he took off one morning and he went to a church, a Christian church in, in Calcutta and he walked up to the steps to the church and he was about to enter and the usher said, you can't come in here. You cannot come in here. This service is for high caste Indians or for white people. And you're neither of those. So Gandhi turned his back on that church and he walked away and he thought that Christianity was worthless because what he saw in that church was the segregation in the same way that he saw segregation in the caste system of his own Hindu religion. As a result, Landy, uh, Gandhi later declared, I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. And later the missionary, Stanley Jones, asked him, Mr Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his, follow, his follower? And Gandhi's reply was pretty clear. Oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Man, that should cut every one of us to the heart. should cut every one of us. How is it that we are impacting our world? What do people see when they look at us? What do people when they see when they look at, at our lives? What impact is our life having? Our acceptance... Our grace, our mercy that's being extended to others. What impact does that have in our world? We've looked at a lot of negative stuff here um, because so often the church has reinforced those prejudices. But I want us to have a look at a couple of very positive clips now of how one man has, has breached over that and, and made a difference. Thanks, uh, Marie and Josh. Billy Graham's first public acts against racial segregation took place at his crusades in the South during the early 1950s. At the time, it was common practice for ropes to separate the white from the black sections. He walked into the 
crusade and they had ropes up. Billy saw them. Blacks were supposed to sit back of that and uh, the whites would sit in front. Uh, I was uh, uh, appalled at it and decided that I had to speak out on it and had to do something about it. I said, no more of this. And uh, I went to the head usher and asked him if he would remove the uh, ropes, and he said no, he wouldn't. Billy got up from the platform and he walked down past the ushers and took the ropes down himself. And I remember that the head usher resigned, and there was quite a little flack about that. That was a historic moment in history with the church, and that opened up his friendship with the Martin Luther King and other people and he really practiced what he preached. In a 1956 article published in Life magazine in which Billy made a plea for an end to intolerance, he wrote, it is not sufficient to urge people to love their neighbor unless we lead them also to the capacity to love. Christ gives men this capacity. We must meet Christ. We must know him as our Lord and our Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts, we shall be saved. His approach was more of trying to get people into the relationship with Christ, that that would transform their mindset and, and the way in which they live. So they would see people differently um, and thus treat people differently. Everybody's calling is not the same. And Mr. Graham's calling is the proclamation of the gospel in which um, if he can reach men's hearts through the Spirit of God, that can change a man's whole life completely. A lot of things that the black pastors didn't know was that Mr. Graham had helped Martin Luther King in many, many areas with regard to his imprisonment and paying of fines and, and uh, that kind of thing and encouragement along the way. It wasn't something Mr. Graham did for his own prominence and to get uh, press interviews out of it, but it was something he did because of his concern for justice and uh, his desire to help people, but he did it in his way. From Eisenhower to Kennedy to Johnson and then Nixon, Billy worked closely with all these presidents, encouraging them to take steps to end racial segregation when they tried to integrate Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. That was 1957. And uh, President Eisenhower called me on the phone and he said, Billy, did you see the picture in the paper this morning of uh, the black man being kicked uh, down on the street in uh, Little Rock? And I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, I'm thinking we're gonna have to send some troops in there to hold that down and to stop that. He said, uh, what do you think about it? I said, well, I don't think you have any alternative. I said, it can't go on like it's going now and something dramatic has to take place. Billy also offered to hold a crusade in the troubled city, but the local committee thought it would be impossible at that time. When the meetings did take place two years later, their impact would prove to be far-reaching. Almost 50 years ago, my Sunday school teacher took me to Little Rock to hear Billy Graham's crusade. The schools were closed because of Little Rock Central High School integration crisis. The White Citizens Council in Little Rock tried to convince, even to pressure, Billy Graham and all of his people to preach to a segregated audience. And he told them that if they insisted on that, he would cancel the crusade and tell the whole world why. So here we were, with neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood in my state on the verge of violence, 
and yet tens of thousands of black and white Christians there together in a football stadium. And when he issued the call at the end of the message, thousands came down holding hands, arm in arm, crying. It was the beginning of the end of the Old South in my home state. I will never forget it. Very powerful clips, aren't they? Extremely powerful. See, Christ has the power to bring reconciliation and you and I, friends, are the arms, the hands and the feet of Jesus in each of those cases. We need to be asking ourselves the question, how can we break down that separation that still exists even in our world today? How do we extend love to those people that walk into our centre day by day, into our playtime groups, into our men's shed, into our youth? This is not just something for our world out there. This is something for us in community life together. Even as we gather today, we are largely a white Anglo community in an area that is far more than white Anglo in our area. And it's great to have some Sri Lankan friends with us and some Chinese with us. And it's absolutely fantastic. How can we keep on working to see integration right across what others might see as times of segregation? How can we do that? Well, James gives us three aspects to take hold of. And we can uh, go through the account. Josh has already done the account and the story, but basically the first thing is to look beyond the glitz and the glamour. Look beyond the glitz and the glamour. James said if two strangers come into our church, one is rich and one is poor, and we take hold of the rich man and we show him to the front and we give him the absolute best part and the best seat in our place, and we don't do the same to the poor. We leave him as standing up or we say, sit down here at my feet. That is sin. That is sin. That's prejudice against the poor man and it's favouritism for the rich and it's not consistent with the call of Christ in our lives because Christ died for all. And because Christ died for all, we're of all of equal worth to God. And that equality is one of the most basic aspects of our Christian faith. The only place that men and women are equal is in the sight of God. Humanity is not born equal. For every child that is born today uh, in our world, they're going to have uh, different abilities, uh, different capacities of the mind. They're born into different races, into different socioeconomic groups. Some are born so-called with a silver spoon in their mouth. Others are born into poverty and have a hard road. Men and women are not born, or little kids are not born equal. The only place we are equal is in the sight of God, because in the sight of God, God loves each of us individually. God loves each of us the same. And we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we need to take hold of salvation that's available only through Jesus Christ. So whatever differences we might see around us in our world, we are all united by God's amazing love for us and our common need of Jesus. So James says, look beyond the glitz and the glamour, look beyond the things that are obvious to us, and go deeper. Look at the heart of these people that we are doing life with. And then he goes on to say, and if there is to be a focus at all, 
pay attention to the poor and the marginalised and the oppressed. You know, Jesus' first sermon when he stood up in the synagogue and he opened up the, the uh, scroll from the prophet Isaiah, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That's what Luke says. Matthew's Gospel says, Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor in spirit. Okay. But we do know that there was an emphasis from Jesus on the poor. And even James actually says in verses 6 and 7 of, of chapter 2, he said, why are you hankering after the rich? Why are you seeking the favour of the rich? Is it not the rich that are calling you between, before the courts? Isn't the rich that are, that are taking you and blaspheming the name of Christ? Focus on the poor. Yet there were rich followers who were followed Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were, were two good examples, but generally speaking, it has been the poor classes who have followed Jesus in the masses. And then secondly, James tells us to meditate on what it means to love your neighbour. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So James is dealing with the excuse that some might uh, want to raise and say, well, yeah, I did, I did um, treat this rich man with particular favour, but that's just because I wanted to uh, treat him as though as I would want to be treated myself. I wanted, to, I wanted to treat him with that royal law of love. I wanted to do to him what... Oh, would one other's done to me? And James says, well, if that's why you did it and you did it out of pure motives, you've done well. But do it for the poor bloke as well. Don't show favouritism. Do it for the poor fellow as well. You can't pick and choose who you want to love. You're called to love all people. And he then goes on to say, if we love uh, according to the law of love, except the one person that we might have a prejudice against or a person that we might have bitterness against, even in their own fellowship, we have broken that law, that law of love. And then finally, he says, live lives of liberty and mercy. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There are some in our community who live with prejudice uh, each and every day. And they live with judgment each and every day. There are those who desperately need to know the love of Jesus. And through our involvement with Indigenous uh, families over the years, I've come to realise that there's a particular group of people, often our own Indigenous people, that experience that. This is National Reconciliation Week. Indigenous round in rugby league, but National Reconciliation Week. And the, uh, the theme is, a reconciliation is not a word, it is an action. I could have taken that right out of James, as I said in that pastor's desk. But I can see why. I mean, some years ago, two girls from Columbaroo Aboriginal community came down and, and lived in our house while they went to, to William Clark College. And soon after they arrived, Lynn took them down to uh, Castle Towers and into Kmart. Beautiful, leafy, suburban Sydney. So here they are in Kmart. They're the only ones in the shoe section as they were looking for um, school shoes and for sports shoes that the girls needed. So they're looking there, as I said, the only ones in there. They're having a look at the different shoes, 
Lynn with them, and over, over the loudspeaker comes security to ladies' shoes, security to ladies' shoes. And Leslie Ann said, Auntie Lynn, they're coming to look at us. They're coming to look at us. She's a girl that's used to discrimination. They're coming to look at us. They don't trust us. They think we're flogging something. Sure enough, not long after, someone came and they stood in that aisle and just watched what was happening. She felt shamed. Not because she was doing anything wrong. Far from it. But she felt shame because of the prejudice. And our role is to speak freedom and love and grace and mercy into those situations. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is mercy. And Jesus simply says to us, freely have you received. Freely you have received the mercy that Jesus offers. Give it. Give it to all people. James says, live in that freedom. Don't judge. Live with mercy and lavish it on others and lead them to Jesus so they too might be able to pass that mercy on uh, to others around them. I love that quote from Billy Graham that said, it's not sufficient to urge people to love their neighbour unless we lead them also to the capacity to love. Christ's, Christ gives men that capacity. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to praise you and thank you for your mercy and your grace and your absolute love poured out for us through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for what you've done in our lives and Lord, we pray that we might, as we continue to meditate on that and, and see the way you've freely accepted us and yet freely forgiven us, that Lord, you would have us examine our own lives. For any aspects of prejudice or favoritism that we might be exhibiting. And that, Father, you give us the courage to journey with you to make the differences in our own lives. We want to lift your name high and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.